Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. It's great to get up and speak and see half the church leave. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little intimidating, yeah. So I'm glad to be with you today. As you can see from, uh, I don't know yet, but we're talking about facing temptation. And uh, the the typical depiction of uh, temptation in our culture is this devil on one shoulder who's uh, chirping at you about things you're not supposed to be doing. And on the other shoulder, there's this angel that's saying, don't listen to that, do the right thing. You know, and how many, how many people here have uh, been tempted? Yeah. Jim, what were you tempted to do? Just kidding. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. In fact, we're all tempted. That's just the way it is. In fact, the creators of uh, Simpsons say that uh, Homer is tempted too. Do we have that? We don't have it. Anyway, it was a picture of Simpson with a devil and an angel on either of his shoulders. So um, I do want to say that we're not talking about being tempted to have a second piece of cake or having some ice cream on our pie. I'm talking about the temptation that leads to sin that put Jesus on the cross. So it's a serious conversation, and it's something that we all deal with maybe every day. If we're honest, many times during a day. It's it's the way it is. And I thought that just before we start, you know, talking about how Jesus faced the uh, temptation, that we could spend just a little bit of time finding out where does temptation come from? I mean, what's its source? So I think Scripture shows us three uh, places. First one is ourselves. The Apostle James said this. He said, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. All right, so where does it come from? Well, here's the big blow. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. His own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings death. First place temptation comes from? Folks, the news is bad from us. In fact, the Apostle Paul uh, said that he had trouble with it as well. Let me kind of put my spin on what he was saying. God, I'm a mess. The good I want to do, I don't do. The evil I don't want to do, I do. Who's going to take care of this mess? Thanks be to Jesus Christ. So we are, in a sense, our own worst enemy. A second source is the world. The Apostle John said this, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, ooh, the love of the Father is not in him? Wow. Yeah, that's hard to hear. 
For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. I have to say that, you know, this is probably becoming exponentially one of the greatest places for our temptation. It used to be, you know, just a movie we saw or maybe a line in a, a song or maybe a magazine that we read. But now, you know, with the internet, uh, with uh, social media, uh, maybe even with AI coming up and around, it's, it's all over. And we strap it to our wrist with smartphones. The portals are all over us. They're in our pockets, in our purses. You know, it's in our laptop. It's it is over, all over. This is a place where you and I probably really need to be extremely vigilant, okay, for ourselves and for the next generation, our kids. We're going to have, I mean, we're going to have to get up to speed so that we could help them know how to navigate this. It's going to be really important. The third source that um, there is of, of temptation is the one that we're probably going to talk about most today because it has to do with how Jesus faced temptation, and that's from the evil one, the adversary. Uh, This is what Peter said. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. You know, one of the most amazing things of coming to Christ is that you're immediately marked by Jesus. You're marked by Jesus for forgiveness of sin. You're marked by Jesus for eternal life. You're marked by Jesus to be part of God's family. You're marked by Jesus to receive an inheritance that we don't deserve. The same thing is also true, is that the moment we come to Christ, we go from being marked by Jesus to also being targeted by the evil one. He wants to destroy you. Not just necessarily you, your body, which he may want to do. He wants to take you out of commission in doing the will of God. He wants to make your testimony worthless. So he's smart. But we find out something about temptation, whether it's the book of Job or what I'm going to read from Paul, is that there's limitations to temptation. This is really important for us to know because we're not like just thrown into a a tank full of sharks when it comes to temptation. We actually are granted some power. We're actually granted some limitations that a temptation can have against us. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man or woman. That means you can't sit there one day and go, Well, this is not happening to anybody else. Of course I'm going to give in. No, it's happening to lots of people. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Isn't that great news? But with the temptation, he'll also provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. I think this is great news. Temptation is limited. But you know what else? It's bad news. Because we have no excuse to sin. I mean, literally, there's no excuse for us to sin. It's our choice. It's our desire over God's desire. And that's what sin comes down to. Where we sit down one day and we say, you know what, God? I know you want this, but I want this. And then we do it. And then what happens? Ouch. 
Now, I know that, um, <clears throat> I should probably say this, when you know, preaching about temptation and sin like this, you know, a speaker just randomly will catch someone's eyes, okay? I'm not looking at you and saying, I caught you, and Yeah, I know, yeah, I know you. Yeah, Ted, I, am, I sympathize. Yeah, yeah. No, so it's an accident, so don't think I'm looking at you. Uh, Luther, Martin Luther, had an interesting expression or thought he kind of equated sin or temptation with uh, birds. And I don't know if you've heard this, but he said, you know, um, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you could sure stop them from building a nest in your hair. And temptation is like that. You can't stop temptations. They're going to be there. But you could certainly stop temptation from becoming sin in your heart. You know, and, and what we're going to learn here now is that we're going to take a look at how Jesus faced temptation and, and maybe get some, some clues and how we could do the same thing. And we're going to learn um, from him how to be more successful when it comes to, uh, to resisting temptation in our life. So why don't you uh, get your Bibles out, and we're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, uh, or take the Pew Bible, if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, just open it up to the middle, make a hard right turn, and go to the first book in the, in the <clears throat> New Testament, and that's the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, if you're on a, um, a cell phone or something like that, just let your fingers do the walking and put in Matthew 4, chapter 1, and you'll be there like that, you know, okay. So that's a good thing for internet and stuff. All right, so the first trial, this is, let me set, the, let me set the, the stage here. So this is about a month and a half after Jesus has uh, been baptized. He's out in the wilderness, and according to Mark, the only thing around him are wild beasts. I don't know what that looks like, but it doesn't sound comfortable. And all of a sudden, somebody else appears on the scene, and that's where we're going to pick up this story. So, the first temptation. I'm calling this uh, facing trial temptation. Facing trial temptation. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command those stones to become loaves of bread. So what is actually being tempted here? Let's take a look at this and take a deeper dive. This is not the devil questioning whether Jesus is the Son of God or not. He knows he's the Son of God because just 40 days ago, after Jesus came out of the water after being baptized, I mean, the Holy Spirit came down over Jesus in, in a manifestation of a dove, and then the, the, the sky opened up and a thunderous voice came out and said, This Man, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And at that moment, if there was any angel in heaven, any of the armies of God's angels in heaven didn't know that this was the son of God, they knew it then. And they cheered. And at the same time, in hell, the demons went, uh-oh, this is not going to be good. So the devil knew who this was. So what he was saying to him is like, hey, listen, considering you're God, why don't you start acting like God? Yeah, why don't you just put down this human thing and why don't you just take those stones over there and turn them into loaves of bread and lickety-split, you're feeling better, you could minister better. Think of all the advantages. But what was really going on? Is it wrong to 
grab something to eat when you're hungry? It's not wrong for me, unless I do have that extra piece of cake. No, it's not wrong. So what's going on? What's Satan gotten up his sleeve here? Satan is tempting Jesus to think of himself, to stop acting like a human. Your God, he's saying to him, start acting like God. Take care of yourself so that you could take care of others. See, God's plan for Jesus was to live a human life among humans, not a God among humans. See, Jesus had both a human nature and a God divine nature. And Jesus said, and the plan was to set aside the God nature, not to use that, and live completely as a human among humans, trusting totally in his relationship with the Father for his Father to, to protect him and to provide for him. Because he was teaching us how to do that. And, and it was also his God's plan that a human would come, live perfectly, and then become your and my substitute on the cross. He would die for what we did wrong instead of we dying for what we did wrong. And the moment, the moment the devil could get Jesus to start playing the God card instead of the faith card and start acting like God instead of like a human, it was broken, it was over. Jesus stayed a human, lived that human life so he could die as a human for you and me with a perfect life, a perfect life. I think that's what Satan was out to do because once that happened, once Jesus uh, started living like a God on earth, it was broken. The plan of salvation would be broken. Now, the irony of this is, think about it. Here's the devil, comes to Jesus and says, I want you to turn those rocks into bread. When he's talking to Jesus, who is the rock? Who is what? The bread of life. He already is what, I mean, spiritually, he is what it is. So what does Jesus do as he faces this trial temptation? <clears throat> Chapter 4, but Jesus answered him, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus faced temptation with faith in God's word and God's plan. How do you face temptation? In faith in God's word and God's plan. The same way. And so Jesus knew he needed food to sustain his body for a day, but he also knew that the word of God would sustain his soul and our souls forever forever. And so Jesus believed in and trusted in the Father's word and the Father's plan. So how should we face trial temptation? You're probably sitting there going, well, number one, I'm not fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, so that's not a temptation. Number two, actually have food every day, so food itself is not a temptation. But we have other trials, don't we? Other things happen. I, I wrote down some stuff here. Every person probably here in this room is or has been or will be nervous or concerned or anxious, maybe even obsessed with something in their life that's going on. That's a trial. You might be worried about college costs if you're in that age or weddings or doctor bills. Maybe it's a threatening disease diagnosis. Maybe it's uh, your retirement. Maybe you're anxious about work 
Will I get a raise? Will I get promoted? Will they lay me off because of what's going on with the economy? Then there's the pressure just of everyday stuff, okay? And I listed this, and maybe some of you can relate to this. Um, pick up, yeah, pick up the kids, drop off the kids. Get the laundry done, finish ironing, go shopping for groceries, make a meal for a family at church, make our own meal, uh, mail a birthday card, mail the sympathy card, pay off the credit card, the mortgage, the phone, the car, and get ready to go out with the friends tonight. And all of a sudden you're consumed with everyday life. Satan's tempted you to make your life about this life and not about eternal life. And you stop feeding your souls. You ever had that happen? Our daughter was so sick, and we were so much involved in what was going on with her at the hospital in the ICU and talking to doctors. We couldn't even pray. We didn't have time to pray. We were consumed in what was going on in her life. We should be. We were parents. And God did a favor for us. He sent someone to our to the ICU that we just met not too long before that. And that man said, God sent me here to pray. And he prayed for us. Three and a half hours, he sat in another room and just prayed. And uh, miraculously during that time, our daughter began to slowly, ever so slowly to get better. So anyway, all these what-ifs swirl around us in our lives and the devil fills your plate with even more concerns and doubts. And like I said, you're tempted to make this life all about your life all about this life to the detriment of your eternal life and you stop feeding your soul. So in in the temptation, these trial temptations, don't stop thinking about your eternal life. Don't get sidetracked. Don't let the devil make you think everything is about this life. Okay? And there's another temptation that Jesus goes through, and I kind of think, well, Jesus is sitting there, he gives the devil this uh, scripture, and uh, the devil goes, oh, I could use scripture too. So he says this in verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels to concern, uh, concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. I think this temptation is the fame temptation, the spectacular, the be spectacular temptation, to show off, to get the glory yourself. Okay? So what's the scheme here? And like I said, I think there's a number of layers here. The first layer is that Satan wanted to turn God the Father's uh, promise into a temptation to challenge the faithfulness of God. Well, God said he's going to do it. Do you think he'll do it? I mean, if you're walking down a road and you trip, he says he's going to send an angel. What if you jump off the top of the temple? Will he catch you before you fall? So a challenge to God's faithfulness. The other thing that's really interesting about this, he, he doesn't say it explicitly, but what he says is basically, oh, you could jump, surely you will not die. Where have we heard that before? In the garden. Oh, you could take a bite out of that. Surely you're not going to die. He's working it. Devil's working it. Third layer to this, Satan wants to minimize 
the consequences or the results of your bad choices. He's telling Jesus, listen, you're going to jump. The angels are going to catch you. Okay? You know, you may hear, oh, you know what? You're at the office. You could uh, spend some time with that person. No one will know. Oh, you could, you could maybe um, take some, uh, some money. No one will find out. You know what? Even if someone finds out, uh, you know, they'll let you slide. You're a good person. He's going to minimize the consequences of that temptation if you follow through with it. Don't let that happen. Don't let him minimize it. Just remember, I, when I have temptation, one of the things I just remind myself of is if I turn that temptation into sin, I'm like driving a nail into Jesus. I try to remember that. So try to, you know, whatever it is that you would do. And the third, the fourth layer, I'm sorry, is that the saint's just challenging Jesus to be a star, a celebrity. He wants to do it for his own benefit. Stage a miracle. Be spectacular. Draw the crowd. Be famous. Jump off the roof. You jump off and you land on your feet. Boy, everybody's going to follow you. They're going to listen to everything you do. You know? Um, so... What did uh, Jesus do to, uh, to like, deal with or face this fame temptation? Verse 7, Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Once again, Jesus rebukes the devil's temptation with the word of God. And he chooses the truth of God's word over what the devil is tempting him with. What the devil said was true. But he was using that truth to get Jesus to do something spectacular for himself. And, and the reality is, is that Jesus is going to do lots of spectacular things. What are some of the spectacular things that he's done in, in his life, in the gospel? What's a spectacular thing? What do you do? What? Yeah, he turned water into wine. What else did he do? Raised Lazarus. Yes, he raised the dead. He healed the sick. He gave uh, sight to the blind. He had the people who couldn't hear, hear. He had paralyzed people that couldn't walk, walk. I mean, he did spectacular thing after spectacular thing after spectacular thing, but not a single one of them was for him. Every spectacular thing was for somebody else. And every spectacular thing he did was for the glory of God. And what does Satan want to do? He wants me to say, I want to do a spectacular sermon so that they pat me on the back after this and I walk out of here like a stud. <laughs> yeah, my wife knows that. <laughs> She's the one who usually comes and it's okay, Wayne, you were good, you're okay. Yeah. Don't let Satan do this to you. He's going to do it to everybody. You know why? Because we love it. When I was in the toy industry, I loved going to New York and having, you know, a couple of toys and they would come up, hey, Wayne, you know, I see your job. Yeah, yeah, no, it's okay. We're, you know, whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah it's, it's nice, you know. But um, what I really wanted to do is be great in the toy industry because I knew that then I had a voice with the toy industry executives from all over the world. And that was worth working hard for and trusting God to be successful with. So anyway, how should we face the, tame, uh, the fame temptation? Avoid being big and spectacular. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You know what I was thinking about? I don't think there's a time in Jesus' ministry where he said, I want you to do something spectacular for me. 
I want you to do some really amazing, great, spectacular. You know what he did? He said to this. He said, whatever you do to the least of these, my brothers, you do for me. And then he said this. He gave this example. Even if you give a cup of cold water. How spectacular is a cup of cold water? It's not. It's nothing. But Jesus is saying, no, if you do it in my name, I'm telling you, you're not going to miss a reward for that. I've got that down in my book, and bud, you're getting blessed because you bless somebody in my name. In fact, I think that Jesus is pulling together a, a nation, a, a humanity of, of eternal beings who are in this world, this today, are going to do hundreds, maybe thousands, maybe millions of tiny little things that are kind to other people. And it works against the me-ism ethos of this world as we doing little things daily to care for and minister to other people in the name of Jesus. So anyway, I think that's, that's something that we could listen to. I, I love what Paul says here too. He says, uh, basically, be little clay pots filled with the glory of God so that the glory will be of him and not of ourselves. It's okay to be a clay pot as long as you're filled with Jesus. It's pretty good. Temptation number three. I call this facing the shortcut temptation. Verse eight. Again, the devil took him to the high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I'll give to you if you just fall down and worship me. Wow. So wait a second. What's Satan really saying here? I'm going to give you all the nations of the world if you just fall down? Well, the reality is the Father had already promised to give Jesus all the nations of the world. So that's one for one. And he says, I'm going to give you the power over them? Well, Jesus, in his divine nature, is, is God. He has all the power. Okay? So what's he saying? He says, I'm giving you a chance to take a shortcut. I'm going to give you a chance to go ahead and uh, avoid all the pain, all the blood, all the suffering, all the death for one moment of submission. One little moment of worshiping me and you could avoid the cross. I'll give you everything your father was going to give you and you won't have to die. So what would have been gained had Jesus chosen that path? The reality for us, nothing. What would have been lost? Everything for humankind. There would be no sacrificial death, no payment for humanity's sin, no redemption, no reconciliation with God, no resurrection, no hope, no grace, no love. Gone. Gone. So God's plan was not only about who rules that's what Satan thought it was all about. God's plan was about who's redeemed, who's saved. Only Jesus in his human likeness could pay it through the submission and the weakness and the pain of death and not through power. So how did Jesus face the shortcut temptation? Verse 10, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, there we are again, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Once again, Jesus goes back to the word of God. He uses it over and over and over again. 
to handle the temptations that come his way. Jesus also kind of throws in there, and he knows that whatever you worship, you serve. You worship God, you serve God. You worship the devil, you serve the devil. So what should we do when we face our shortcut temptations? So let me tell you two quick stories. I was at a a church breakfast uh, talking about some of these things, and uh, a guy came up to me and goes, man, I wish I was with you a a year ago. And if you heard this, I'm sorry, but um, I'll tell you again. Um, I said, what are you talking about? He goes, well, he says, my bosses came to me, and they said, if you take these numbers in our spreadsheet and you move, move them over to here, okay, we'll take care of you. We'll give you some money. He goes, it was a good deal. He goes, I want to take care of my kids. I want to have good things. And so he did it. And he did. He got a brand new house. Must have been a good job because he also said he got a nice car and a nice boat. So it must have been really taking care of him really well. And then at Christmas, there was a knock at the door, and it was the FBI, and they arrested him in front of his family. Taking a shortcut. Not working the hard way. Taking the short way. And another guy who's a janitor at a school. Sweet man. Really nice guy. He called me up late one day, and he goes, Wayne, he goes, I don't know what to do. And I said, what's the matter? He goes, well, I've been doing some illegal betting and, and I got caught. I got caught by the feds. And they want me to turn state's evidence. They want me to name names and tell the people that I've been betting with so that they can get them. He goes, Wayne, if I do that, I'm dead. And I don't know what's happened to my family. Shortcut. Shortcut. I mean, he was doing something he wanted to do, take care of his family, but he wanted to take the shortcut. Why not take the shortcut? Why work the hard way? You know Why? Because when we work the hard way, we persevere. Jesus persevered. God wants us to be like his big boy. He wants us to persevere too. What else? We learn not only to persevere, but we have not only our characters being proven, but God's characters being proven as we watch him take care of us. And it gives us hope. That's what happens when we take shortcuts. We, we miss all that. We miss being trained to be like Jesus, the Son of God. We don't want to do that. We don't want to take the shortcut temptations. Um, I just wrote down here real quickly, too, that the devil sees power and authority in terms of bullying, browbeating, intimidation, subjection, and slavery. I've met people like that who climb to the top. The tools for his shortcuts are usually accusations, gossip, lying, and bribery. Stabbing people in the back. We don't want to do things that way. That's not a shortcut for us. So, you know, usually, we're at the end here. Um, Usually, like, okay, here's the three points. And, and like, I'm a three-point guy. But I I couldn't come with three points on this one. So I just had a group of takeaways I had takeaways about the devil, and I had takeaways about Jesus facing temptation. And, and then for me, it was like the big, the big one uh, about me facing temptation. So about the devil, I, I wrote down, maybe some of these will hang in your heart and it'll give you some encouragement or strength or power in, in when you have faced temptations. Satan uses temptation to probe for weaknesses. He's poking at you. Find out where there's a soft spot, where there's a chink in the armor. And he's going to go after it when he finds it. So he's not going to quit. <laughs> and that's, that's the second one. You'll never stop being tempted. 
So when we were a young family, we had young kids, uh, this, this elderly woman, we called her affectionately Grandma Lil, uh, adopted our kids and our family. And we got, I got to know her really well, and she wanted me to be a pastor, and I was in business. And I said, ah, it's never going to happen. It happened. Um, anyway, I went to her after a couple of years, and I said, Lil, I said, uh, when's, it all, when's it all end? She goes, what do you mean, when's it all end? I said, you know, when's it all stop? She goes, what are you talking about? What stops? I said, you know. And she goes, I don't know. What are you talking about? I said, you know, temptation, lust, you know, all that stuff. And she went, are you kidding me? I said, what's the matter? She goes, it never stops. This was a 90-year-old woman telling me it never stops, so it's never going to stop. The devil will distort and misapply God's word to tempt you. And the devil will tempt you anywhere and everywhere. He has no boundaries. He tempted Jesus in the wilderness. He tempted him at church at the temple. He tempted him on a mountaintop out in God's country. He'll tempt you anywhere he can. Uh, About Jesus facing temptation. Jesus faced temptation as a human and, not in, a, and in a weakened state on our behalf. I met this guy not too many uh, weeks ago, and he was like, well, Jesus, of course he, you know, he's not going to sin. He's God. And like I said before, you don't understand. If that's what you think, you don't know what the incarnation is. Jesus lived like a human. He chose to live a human life. And, and what he did was he resisted depending on the power his father would give him just the way we need to. In fact, there are some people that say that only Jesus fully experienced the full weight of temptation because each one of us, we cave. We give in a little bit here, a little bit there, and like, well, I'll stop right now, you know, type of thing. So only Jesus maybe really experienced the full weight of temptation. I think that Jesus used himself as bait. He flushed out the devil and exposed his tactics for you and me so that we can learn from them, so we could use them too. I think that Jesus had his temptations recorded for you and me uh, so that we could be prepared. I mean, did you ever think about this? How did anybody know what happened in the wilderness? Who was there? Jesus, the devil, and some wild beasts. The wild beasts told everybody, right? No. I think, I don't know if it was on a mountaintop, or maybe it was out on the sea after a storm. Jesus turned around to his disciples and he said, I got to tell you guys something. Satan's coming after you. He came after me. This is what happened. This is how he tempted me. This is how I dealt with it. I want you to do the same thing. And you know what Mark, Matthew, and Luke did? They said, oh my gosh, we have to tell everybody else about it. And so they wrote about it in their Gospels so that they taught us how to deal with the temptations we get. About ourselves facing temptation. Number one, use your sword. Get to know the Word of God. My partner was like, you know, he said Christians are like uh, spiritual chickens. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, a chicken, he says, it doesn't really have much flavor when you cook it, he says, but you marinate it, and then you can make it taste like anything. And he goes, when we marinate ourselves in God's word, we taste like Jesus. I'm like, oh, okay. And I cook, and I know I do use a lot of different marinades, and he's right. Chicken can taste like anything. And if we marinate in what the devil's cooking or what the world's cooking, you don't know what you're going to taste like. So marinate in God's word, store it in your heart. And and this is a two that I want to read together. Only Jesus has the power to, to turn sin into temptation and only you have the power to turn temptation into sin. What do I mean by that? 
Well, before we came to Christ, we were enslaved to sin. It says that we were enslaved in, in sin's sway or in sin, we, the law of sin was ru- ruling our life, ruining our life too. And then when we come to faith in Jesus, what happens is he breaks that and, and he puts us in the law of Christ, which is grace. And now we're no longer constrained to obeying sin but now we could obey Jesus because he's given us that power. And now what happens is that instead of having sin in our life, sin's been moved over there where it becomes a temptation. Okay? And when it becomes a temptation, now all of a sudden it comes to us and now there's only one person in the world that has the power to, to take that temptation and to turn it into sin. And that's you and me. Because God's already limited the role of temptation in our life. Do you get that? That makes sense to you? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we're just so thankful for, uh, what you, for letting Jesus go through this temptation. We're thankful, Father, for the, the, the gift of the tactics that he gave us of, of knowing your word and, and, and how to resist and, and uh, to stay away from the temptations that are found in trials when we're so consumed by our life becoming about just our life, uh, about fame and being spectacular and just being willing to be in the background, to be that clay pot. And then, and finally, to avoid the temptation of shortcuts, Lord, that can really destroy our lives. I pray your hand of favor and blessing on each one of the people here that you have spoken to them through your Holy Spirit in a way that they take from this something that's valuable about you, Jesus, the value about the power you've given them to, overwhelm, to overcome temptation and to stand firm as Christians. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.